Yeah. Good morning. The scripture this morning is Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And I just had to get a pronunciation straight from the pastor because the... Not all the words in the scripture are very familiar to us. All right. And sometimes you can pronounce them several different ways. But please stand for the reading of God's word. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore his chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there. And I lost my place sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then then, Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The word of the Lord. Thank you. This is one of my favorite New Testament uh, accounts. 
I love this story. I love the, the dramatic change in this man's life. And I love it because it's a power encounter. And we see who wins. Um, many, are, many of you are probably familiar with the name Titanic, uh, the, the ship, the Titanic. It was, uh, the ocean liner Titanic was the largest of a class of ships built by, by the White Star Line to compete with the Cunard Lines who had two standout ships that ranked among the most sophisticated and luxurious of their time. The Cunard ships were called the Mauritania and the Lusitania. The Titanic was 882 feet long had 20 boilers and 162 furnaces that, get this, burned 650 tons of coal a day. Wow. It's three engines. It's had three props. was driven by three props. It's three engines produced a combined total of 46,000 horsepower. The Olympic class, which is what the Titanic was one of the Olympic class of ships, featured a double bottom and 15 watertight bulkhead compartments equipped with electric watertight doors that could be operated individually or simultaneously by a switch on the bridge. As a result of all the modern shipbuilding technology that went into the Titanic, it was considered Unsinkable. Yeah. But the watertight compartments uh, had a design flaw that was critical to the Titanic's eventual sinking. While the individual bulkheads were indeed watertight, the walls separating the bulkheads extended only a few feet above the waterline. So water could pour from one compartment into another, especially if the ship began to tilt or list. Um, so when the Titanic struck the, the iceberg and its steel plates were compromised, it began to list in such a way that the watertight compartments flowed from one into the other and after three hours took the ship to the bottom with a loss of over 1,500 passengers. A powerful ship came up against something more powerful than it was, and as a result, an unsinkable ship was sunk. Remember, um, as I told, we've talked about Jesus over these recent weeks, we've kind of drawn comparisons between what Jesus was doing in a spiritual sense and what Joshua years and years before had done in a physical sense. Possessing the land as Joshua did meant engaging the enemy at some point. You could not take territory away without engaging the enemy. For Jesus to conquer spiritually, He had to engage the enemy as well. Not with sword and spear as Joshua did, but nevertheless in a very real and powerful sense. For us who are called to follow Jesus, we're also called to engage the enemy. And for us, that may be a fearful thing. Often, enemy territory is unfamiliar territory. 
when we go there, it takes us out of our comfort zone. It may not be as dramatic as that which occurred in the scene, the Gera scenes with the man in the tombs, but we will encounter the enemy if we seek to take spiritual ground from him. Sometimes we are called to engage in a battle that seems impossible, one that cannot be won. Yet in these very situations come some of the greatest victories. So in this passage that, that Dean read for us today, we see the Jesus and the disciples going across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or in some places it's called the Gergesenes. This, was, this area was definitely enemy territory in the minds of the disciples. This was a region of the Decapolis, an area of relatively independent city-states. It was populated by Gentiles and was deeply influenced by the Greek culture. This was pagan territory where Baal-zebub ruled. It was here that a number of different Greek gods with their perverted religious practices were worshipped. It was here that the gladiatorial games with their violence and bloodlust so loved by the, by the Romans was practiced. No good Jew would ever come here unless they absolutely had to. This was a place to be avoided. It was evil, uncomfortable, fearful territory. In the minds of the disciples, it was probably the last place they would have chosen to come and minister. Not there. See, because the people here would be impossible to win. No chance. So they've just crossed the sea. And by the way, on the way, they've gone through a storm that Jesus has calmed. If you read the, the passage just previous to this. So when they arrive at their destination, a man with an evil spirit comes from the tombs to meet them. Great. We've just been through this horrible storm. We finally get to land. And this is what greets us. Can you imagine what the disciples were thinking at this point? Here we've come to this evil country. We land our boat next to a graveyard. And now we're accosted by a crazy man. It's not been the best day we've ever had. So the, the, the Bible then gives us some insight into the condition of this man. And I think the condition of this man represents the condition of people without Jesus. First of all, it tells us that he lived in the tombs. It was a place of death. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 tell us this. Paul talking to the Ephesians and he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is now at work in those who are obedient. So this man lived in the tombs, a place of death, it represents people without Christ who were dead without Him. They are spiritually dead. That's what Paul tells us. Dead in their transgressions and sins. They would never think of it that way because they are breathing, they can talk, they can think. 
But the scripture tells us that spiritually they are dead. Here's this man living in a place of death. He represents people who are spiritually dead. It also tells us that he could not be bound. Can you imagine? They put, they put shackles on this man he, and chains and he broke them all loose. That is a scary guy. That represents lives out of control. He could not be bound. And folks, we see that all around us all the time. Lives out of control. Um, think about Celebrate Recovery. They deal with hurts and habits and hang-ups. Lives that are out of control. Addictions are, are one example of that. If you look at the definition of addiction, you know that an addiction is something that has control of your life. You are not in control in that area of your life. It's a life out of control. Think of the violence in our culture. Those are lives out of control. Think of the, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse. Lives out of control. This man could not be bound. He represents people without Jesus whose lives are out of control. It also says that he roamed aimlessly and ceaselessly. That represents life or lives without purpose or meaning. Did you know that there are 45,000 suicides annually in our country? People take their lives because life seems hopeless. They have no purpose or meaning. Um, did you know that for every suicide that occurs, there are 25 other attempts at suicide? So, we've got 45,000 annually who succeed, and then 25, 25 others for each that, that succeed that have attempted. Do the math. There's a lot of, of hopelessness out there. There are a lot of people whose lives seem meaningless. They have no purpose in life. Um, think of, uh, it's been in the news recently, uh, celebrities who have taken their lives by suicide. And on the outside looking in, a lot of people would look at these people and say, well, they have everything. They have everything. Their lives are fulfilled. And yet, their lives are empty. All that they had and did and accomplished did not bring the purpose and meaning in life that they sought. And folks, it's an, it's an epidemic in our country. This man roamed aimlessly and ceaselessly. He represents people whose lives are without purpose or meaning. Folks, the description of this man is a description of what evil and life without God does to people. So we're now faced with the most impossible of the impossible. And can you imagine how high the discomfort level has risen for the disciples? I mean, it's just notched up a whole bunch. We were in pagan territory... And the very worst of the pagans has just come to greet us. But at this point, we have the, a demonstration of a power that is greater than. First of all, the demon is named. 
It says that Jesus asked the demon to tell who he was. See, the, the, the demon in the man immediately recognizes the Son of God and starts begging for mercy. This impossible power, or at least that's how it was viewed, this impossible power is now begging a greater power for mercy. So Jesus commands it to come out of the man, but before anything happens, Jesus asks the Spirit its name. And the reply is that its name is Legion, because we are many. Now Jesus and the disciples would have immediately known the meaning of this name. A Roman legion was composed of 6,000 soldiers. My name is Legion. Whoa! We're dealing with something pretty incredible here. I mean, here stands Jesus against Legion. 6,000? Commentators have different ideas about why this took place. I mean, Jesus asking the name of the demon. Many seem to think that it had something to do with the belief that if you could determine a demon's name, then you could have power over it. Somehow this was maybe supposed to convince the man that, with the evil spirit that Jesus could do something to help him. I think that Jesus was doing this for the sake of the disciples. There was an important lesson to be learned here. They just come through this harrowing experience on the Sea of Galilee in which Jesus with a word had calmed the storm. Remember that? Peace be still. Now they would see perhaps an even greater demonstration of His power as He dealt in enemy territory with a man possessed by an evil spirit that now turns out to be a legion of evil spirits. Do you see what's happening here? We're on pagan Gentile turf. We're in impossible territory. We're, we're dealing with a crazy, demon-possessed man and an impossible prospect. And, and we're, we're dealing with a legion of evil spirits and an impossible situation. It's just impossible. But what happens? Well, the demons beg Jesus not to send them into this unknown territory, into the pit the void. Um, now I'm no expert on dealing with the demonic, but I, I've read that demons want a place to dwell. Uh, um, they want bodies to live in. And so, I guess that if Jesus wasn't going to let, let them live in this man, the pigs were the next best choice. So the de- demons are cast out into... Uh, a herd of 2,000 pigs that had been feeding on the hill nearby. And when they do, when the demons are cast into the pigs, it says they, they stampede down and into the lake, probably over a cliff. In fact, when we were in Israel, they kind of showed us the place where they, they thought this might have happened. Over the edge, into the water, and they drown. And there's a moral to this story. There are some things that not even pigs can handle. 
Many, uh, this may have been a demonstration to the man that the demons were gone once and for all. It was believed that water was fatal to demons. In Matthew chapter 12, we hear the story of the man and the demons cast out from him and the demon wanders in arid places before returning and finding that the house was unoccupied, it was swept clean and put in order. So the demon in that case comes back and it says it brings others even worse than himself to occupy this man. So, seeing the, the, the demons cast into the herd of swine, seeing them over the cliff, into the water and drown, it may have been an assurance to the man and the disciples that these demons had been dealt with in such a way that they would not return. So the man is set free. The demons are gone. Jesus is the emancipator. To emancipate is to free from restraint, control, or the power of another. Jesus is the emancipator. He set this man free. Powerful demonic forces were confronted by someone more powerful and they were defeated. It was the Titanic and the iceberg. So what happens? Well, the pig herders, they run off and tell everybody in town and the surrounding country what's happened. And when they come to check it out, and I love this phrase. Uh, I love this phrase. It says, when they came to Jesus, this is the people coming out from town in the countryside, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and and in his right mind. I love that phrase. This incredible turnaround in this man's life. This crazy man, this hopeless man, this impossible man, this man who was totally out of head, he was a complete lunatic, he was crazy. And it says he was fully clothed and sitting there and in his right mind. Can you imagine? So, all the people come to check it out to see what had happened. You know, the man and the pigs and the whole thing. And you know what they said? Wow, look at what Jesus did! And no, that's not what they said. They said, wow, look what happened to the pigs! And it says they were afraid of Jesus and they asked Him to leave. We can't have anybody doing that kind of stuff around here. Seems like a strange reaction to me. Especially considering what had happened. Here's this, here's this crazy, scary guy who has this impossible strength. Nobody can deal with him. And it sounds like he'd be a threat to the community, to me. And they come out and see him dressed and in his right mind. And what it, it says now they're afraid. What's going on here? Well, see, I think what was happening was they were concerned that it might cost them more than it already had if Jesus hung around. Well, let's see, we've already lost 2,000 pigs. What next? It's an age-old concern. What will I have to give up if Jesus stays? 
These people were upset because the healing of this man had a negative effect on the economy. So their attitude says, I don't care what happens to anyone else as long as my profits, my ease, and my comforts are preserved. Jesus had disturbed the comfortable routine of their lives and they wanted Him gone. Can't have any more of this stuff happening around here. And Jesus honored their request and left. He won't stay where He's not wanted. Jesus stays by invitation. Hmm. And so as he's leaving, as he's climbing back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to be able to go along. He wanted to be one of his disciples too. But Jesus had another idea. In fact, I think that, I think that was Jesus' strategy all along. He, was, he knew that there was a guy over here on the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes whose life needed changing and he had a purpose for that changed life. He told the man to go and tell how much the Lord had done for him. Boy, if anybody had any experience with this guy, they would have to be amazed by the transformation in his life. Amen? And so he did. He went and he became a missionary in the Decapolis, the ten cities in that region. Talk about someone who could say, here's what Jesus has done for me. You know, this was probably the least likely man in that whole region to evangelize the ten cities. Right? Look, at the beginning of this story, you'd have said, no way, not this guy. Yet, he's the one that Jesus chose. After Jesus did a work in this man's life, he became a powerful and effective witness for the Gospel. It's amazing what Jesus can do, isn't it? So, what does this story teach us? Well, a couple of things. Number one, we can engage the powers of darkness. You know, I think there are certain things that are relatively easy for us to do. You know, I, I, in general, coming to church and, you know, loving the members of the body and serving in various capacities, that's relatively easy in the big picture. I mean, after all, we, we're, we're generally working with people who look and act and dress and talk and think like us. It, be, it becomes more difficult when we move out into the larger world to bring the message and the example of Jesus to people whose values, morals, and lifestyles are different, often distressingly different from our own. These people may seem um, impossible and unreachable to us. To touch their lives, we will have to go into what to us is foreign territory and engage the enemy. <laughs> kind of like the disciples that day. Uh, the garrisons, we're going to beach the boat 
in a cemetery. And look, here comes a crazy man. To touch the lives of people God is calling us to, we will have to go into foreign territory and engage the enemy. And it may be uncomfortable and even fearful, but victories won in these situations are often the greatest victories of all. Remember, we do not go on our own. But we go with the same Jesus who did not waver at confronting a legion of demons that had possession of one He loved and cared for. You need not waver when called to impact, influence, build a relationship with someone that Jesus loves and cares for, even if they seem impossible or unreachable to you. So is there someone who seems too hard, too far gone, too steeped in their unbelief, or even in their false beliefs, so different from you, and yet Jesus has called you to go to them? Going to them may seem like entering foreign territory like engaging the enemy on his own turf. But, but you can go knowing that Jesus goes with you. Go knowing that no power is greater than the power of Christ's love. Go knowing that maybe the one you are called to reach is a missionary in disguise. No one is impossible. No one is unreachable when Jesus is on the scene. See, God's Spirit in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. You can look that up. It says that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. God's Spirit in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. So does Jesus want you to engage the enemy? Does He have someone He wants you to reach? And then the other lesson we can learn is that Jesus has come to set us free. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, speaking of us, He too, speaking of Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus has come to free us from the fear of death that Satan has held over our heads. Romans 6.18 says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Jesus came to set us free from the power of sin in our lives. And, and in the Gospel of John, it reaffirms that when it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's a song that they sing and celebrate recovery sometimes, and it goes like this. Through you the blind will see. 
Through you the mute will sing. Through you the dead will rise. Through you all hearts will praise. Through you the darkness flees. Through you my heart screams, I am free. Yes, I am free. And I am free to run. I am free to dance. I am free to live for you. I am free. I am free. Jesus came to set us free. And folks, we can engage the enemy on His territory. Because the power that showed up on the shores of the garrisons that day, it was a power greater than the power of the demons that inhabited that man. Greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? Be encouraged today. Be encouraged. Jesus came as the power that's greater than. And He came to set us free. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, we give You praise today for this story that's included in the Gospels. This man that he was fearful to be around. He was scary. He was, he was incredibly powerful. He could not be held down or chained or bound in any way. His, he was totally out of control. And he was a picture of death because he lived in the tombs. And yet, Jesus, You showed up that day as a power that was greater than the power that had control over this man's life. Jesus, You took Your disciples right into the midst of enemy territory. And you wreak some havoc. You change things. You set a man free. You changed his life. And you changed his life so much that the crazy man became your missionary in the Decapolis. And Jesus, we can take to heart today the fact that we can engage the enemy in his own territory because the power that's in us is, the, is greater than the power that's in the world. And help us to be bold and courageous to be willing to go and to share, even with people who seem impossible and unreachable. And then Jesus help us to remember that just like the man in the story we read today, You came to set us free. You, you came to set us free from the fear of death. You came to set us free from the power of sin. You came to set us free from the power of unforgiveness or guilt or whatever it may be in their life, in our lives. A hurt, a habit, a hang-up. You came to set us free. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. And we have that good news to share with others. Jesus has come to set you free. You do not have to live in the death of sin, spiritual death. You do not have to live out of control. <laughs> you can live with purpose and meaning. And that comes through the power of Jesus Christ in your life. Praise your name. May we willingly carry that message to people in the world where we live. May we willingly carry that message to people who come to share a meal with us this Saturday. <laughs> because greater is He that, in it, that is in us than He 
that is in the world. Oh God, give us the boldness and courage that maybe the disciples didn't have that day, but I believe that You increased in their life because of that, what they witnessed. So that we'll be faithful to reach those who are unreachable or impossible. Because, Father, nothing is impossible for you. And we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Amen.